it, it's awesome that we get to celebrate, and we are in a season of celebration right now. You'll notice there's decorations that look different. It's like, oh, we're about to celebrate. What are we celebrating in this season? We're celebrating Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, his incarnation. And for us as followers of Jesus, this is a huge celebration that we build into and that we look to. And I know that in our culture, Christmas is still something we celebrate. It's still something that's very important to people. And celebrating family, we celebrate kindness and generosity. And when it comes to celebration... It's one of those things that we, I felt like was so important to talk about as we are in this series, how to make good decisions. How do you know what to celebrate? Right? How do we know what's worth celebrating? Because celebration is really all about remembering. Right? That's what we're doing. We're, we're highlighting something that has happened. And so we celebrate all sorts of things, don't we? We celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, childbirth. We, we even celebrate um, death days. If you have lost someone who's so close to you, you mark that on a calendar and you remember on that day. Is it like, oh, you're celebrating that they're dead? No, you're remembering them and celebrating their impact on you in their life, right? This is worth celebrating. Are you with me on that? Okay. We, we celebrate when people graduate high school, when they graduate college or graduate school, or when they get new jobs, promotions, when they get out of debt, when they beat addiction, when they buy a new home. We celebrate all sorts of things that are, are great, but I do think that there's some times in our culture we take celebration a little bit too far. We start to celebrate everything and anything. Do you know what this Friday is that we begin to celebrate? It's the first day of Hanukkah. And then you're like, oh, wait, that's too, taking it too far? No, not at all. What takes it too far is it's also, also National Brownie Day. Hanukkah, National Brownie Day. I'm sure for some, National Brownie Day is going to be like, oh, this is it, but this is a huge holiday, right? You know, ha- no. And you know what Saturday is? It's not just the second day of Hanukkah. It's National Llama Day. National, yeah, celebrate that. For real, these are things we're going to celebrate? Who, how do you get to pick, like, National Music Stand Day? When is that one? We will find ways to celebrate anything. And then I have to ask myself, if everything is really worth celebrating, is anything really being celebrated? Is it? So if everything is being celebrated, how do we decide then and make good decisions about what to celebrate? How do we know the things that are worth celebrating? I have great news for you this morning. Whether you realize it or not, you have already answered this question. We see and we celebrate what we value. We see and we look towards and we we celebrate what we value. So the decision, you've already made it, whether you recognize that or not. And, and what's interesting is that means it will be different for each and every one of us because we all look at the world very differently and we have different values in our lives. And so if you've never really set out clear values in your life to say, this is the things that I want to guard and to kind of let my life look like, this is what I hope, all you have to do if you want to know what your values are is look at the things that you celebrate. What do you get excited over? What do you celebrate? And that will tell you what you value. Because we see and we celebrate what we valued. Does that make sense? I'd love to look at the story, uh, a couple stories that Jesus tells. And I think it's very important because celebration was important in this culture that Jesus lived in 2,000 years ago. And determining what to celebrate wasn't always the easiest. 
And so Jesus has this amazing way of telling stories to a group that's surrounding him with all sorts of different values to highlight what's worth celebrating. And it's found in the biography of Jesus written by Luke in chapter 15. It's, let's just start in verse 1. It says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, what's interesting here is, as Dr. Luke is writing this story, when he says that the Pharisees are complaining, um, the the Greek word in this is that they're grumbling, that they're, they're like, oh, man, they're muttering. They can't believe that Jesus is hanging out with these losers, right? And he's hanging out with them right in front of everybody in the light of day. Now, I have to step back. Is this really their issue? Is their issue that Jesus is surrounding? Because Jesus is a very well-known religious teacher. He, he was surrounded by tax collectors and notorious sinners. You see, they, when we look at this passage, came to him. He didn't necessarily go out and say, like, let me find them all. They were finding themselves being drawn to him. And could you imagine these tax collectors and notorious sinners When was the last time that they went to temple or synagogue? When was the last time that they thought, you know, I'm hurting so bad, I'm willing to go there. And if you were referred to and looked at as those notorious sinners or, oh, those tax collectors, is that really the way you want to go if the leadership looks at you that way? I don't know that I'd want to go there. I wouldn't want to be present there. And so I wonder if part of the Pharisees' problem here is they're starting to see a value that they have. And it's those people aren't welcome, but Jesus is welcoming. And so when we see someone celebrating a value or it's something that's triggered in us, we tend to get a little like, and attacking things. Why would you celebrate that? Why would you be okay with this? Because it's not our value, but it may be theirs. But Jesus is surrounded by both these groups of sinners and this group of elite Pharisees. And I imagine, I really do, the Pharisees looking at Jesus saying, why would you hang out with these religious rejects? And each of them going, that's why I don't go. And they begin to hang their heads because the elites know they're the worst. And so what Jesus does to reveal values, to reveal what we celebrate He tells three stories, and I I like to call Luke chapter 15 the lost chapter of the Bible because it's it's got three stories about lost things. Does anybody have a propensity to lose things all the time besides me? Where did I put this? I can't get the... Okay, great. Um, If you're super organized, people have hooks with like labels and stuff, teach us. Um, Teach us. And so the three stories... Um, One of them, of which Bill already read for us, the first story that Jesus tells goes like this, starting in verse 3. It says, so Jesus told them a story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he hears, that it's found. And And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Now remember... Okay, let's step back. Remember who Jesus is surrounded by, religious elites and religious rejects. I imagine the elites are now a little bit confused going, we asked you about the people and now you're telling us a shepherd story. That has nothing to do with the question that we just asked you. But I imagine 
the rejects that are around him now are kind of beginning to give each other those looks like, he's not answering, he's not shaming us, he's not relieving us. They're like, normally people don't want to associate what's going on. And, and hey, do you, do you think you ever felt lost at some point? I know, I feel like whether they're saying it out loud or just giving them the looks that say, we understand. They know what it's like to feel lost, to feel away from this group of people. And so Jesus continues in verse 6. He says, when he arrives, and he's talking about the shepherd with the sheep on his shoulders, he will call together his friends and his neighbors. Please hear me on this. When we choose and are deciding what to celebrate, celebration happens best when it happens in community. When we all value the same thing, that means that we all get to get, be excited when it happens. Are you with me? And so the shepherd goes home with this sheep, and it says he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says, rejoice with me. Right? Get excited with me, because I found my lost sheep. And in the same way, and Jesus is going to do this each time, he's going to say, here's a story about the natural world that you may be familiar with, and he'll usually transition it by saying something like, in the same way, and he's going to move to a spiritual value. So there's a natural story with a spiritual value, and the spiritual value is, he says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Oh, that's awesome, isn't it? That's a story. And these people sitting around Jesus, they were just called such sinful people, these notorious sinners. And now Jesus is saying, oh, sinners? Sinners are celebrated in heaven. Not their sin is celebrated, but when someone who has sinned, the person themselves, turns and repents of that sin and says, I want to pursue God, there is a party in heaven. Amen? Why don't we party like that? We high-five and start to say, that's great, here's curriculum. Here's your next steps to trying to be perfect. Stop everything. You're no, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, it is time to party. Let's go. Let's do this. And he's not saying that the other 99 are not worth celebrating. He just says the one who returns is worth, there, there is more joy for that celebration. I think God celebrates over us all the time. But what's the value that Jesus is teaching? What's the value that Jesus has? It's that lost people matter to God and he wants them found. Lost people matter to God and he wants them found. This is important to Jesus. And it's so important that the religious leaders, I'm sure, who are sitting there are not really liking this spiritual application. Are you with me? But the ones who are listening, the supposed rejects whose heads were hung, I imagine looking up going, wait, me? Jesus, you would value me? I could be valued in heaven? There would be a party for me? And they lean into his stories with a little more curiosity, a little more hope. And then Jesus starts with story number two. He says, okay, you got your sheep. Well, let's suppose that a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? All right, same problem. Something's lost. You with me? This time, it's pretty close to everyone's heart who's listening, including ours. It's money. No one likes losing money, amen? Wow. You're okay with losing money. This is interactive. We do this together. Are you with, okay? Are you, does anybody here like losing money? 
Okay, good, good. I, I was going to say, if so, um, I drive a Mazda right out there, just go shake, and whatever's left is perfect. No one likes this. And now I'm sure the Pharisees, they're leaning into this story going, oh my gosh, that's right, the tax collectors steal things if they lost it, right? It doesn't matter, they both have the same value. That val- the value is money's important and it should be taken care of. It shouldn't be lost. And so what Jesus does, he says, someone, a woman, lost one of her coins. And then in verse 9, it says, and when she finds it, what's she going to do? She will call in her friends and neighbors. Why? Because celebration is best in community when you have the same values. And she'll say, rejoice with me, because it's worth celebrating, right? Because I found my lost coin. In the same way, you see the same transition, natural to spiritual, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Do you know how excited you get when you find a $20 bill in your pants after you pull it out of the dryer? And you're like, bonus! Like, this is great! There, just take that, multiply it by a billion, and this is the party that heaven throws when one person who is a sinner, who is far from God, says, I want to be close to God, and in God's presence... That means he's at the party, he's overseeing it. The angels are like, it is party time, let's celebrate. And the woman gets excited, so she brings her friends. And what Jesus is saying is, every single person deserves to be celebrated this way. Why? Because the value that Jesus has is that lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. That's what God is looking for. Yes, he cares about us, deeply. But his eyes are roaming for those who are lost to say there's hope. Where are our eyes? What do we look for? What do we celebrate? Because the truth is we see and we celebrate what we value. We see and we celebrate what we value. And so Jesus closes out with the third story. It's often called the story of the prodigal son. I think it's a horrible name. For the story, this is the story of the two lost sons. Jesus is telling stories about things that are lost that each person in his community here would be able to connect with. And yes, it was, okay, sheep, no one wants to lose that money. Everyone hates losing this. And now he starts to talk about family when there's a disconnect in a family. No one wants to lose family members. And so he begins to tell the story, and I will not read it again for us because it was long, Bill. Um, But he says, listen, there's a story about a dad who had two sons. And the younger son comes to his dad and says, I want my portion of the inheritance, which is the equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead. No one wants this. And so he gets his portion from his father. He goes off to a distant land, and he blows it all on entertainment, on sex, and on gaining attention. I can tell you that that this tells us what he valued. It's what he celebrated. He values what I want I should get. My satisfaction, my desires are the most important thing. And so therefore, this will help me, I will celebrate when I get what I want. My independence is so important that I can establish myself away from my family. I enjoy sex, so I will celebrate it when I have it. Money, look how much I have now. I'm a king. And celebrations, let's party because my enjoyment is important. And so what is he always looking for? The next thing to celebrate. It's in his values. And everyone around him seemed to value the same things until 
what they all valued, which was money, ran out. Then there's no more celebration, is there? We find that everyone ditches him and he has nothing. And who's left to celebrate? There is no celebration. There is no support. There's no money, no entertainment. No one will even look at him as a viable sexual candidate. Ugh, you've got nothing. The values for him had to shift at this point. They had to shift to survival. It's amazing what people do to survive, isn't it? When that's all we are thinking about, we'll do anything to survive. And that's what he does. He sets his eyes towards survival and he begins to feed pigs, which again, to the people listening, they would have been like, no, that's unclean, don't do it. That's a horrible job. Well, I'm sure some would be thinking that. I bet you the Pharisees who are listening in are like, good, you got what you deserve, you little punk. You completely rejected your dad. You disobeyed the law. And now, yeah, this is where that should end you. Good. But he ends up thinking, you know, at my dad's house, at least the servants had something to eat. I don't even have that. I'm willing to swallow my own pride, to go back home, and, and, and I'll practice a speech to my dad to say, hey, I really screwed up here, and I don't want to be your son anymore. I know that's not realistic, so instead I'll be your servant. And, and could you imagine the listeners at this point? Could you imagine these notorious sinners listening going, I, I, you can't go home, man. You can't go home. Families don't accept you back when you do what we do. When you're the tax collector, when you've made all the mistakes, you can't go home. And they're, they're, I bet you internally they're begging for this kid, don't go home, find another way to survive. That's not the answers. And the Pharisees are likely thinking, don't go home because you go home, you're going to die. Actually, go home because that's what you deserve. You see, there's this really weird um, law that took place where if someone, if one of your kids was in major issues and they, they rejected your home and rejected your community and went off, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus it says, when they come back, or if they return and they have disobeyed, you have legal rights to stone them and kill them. That's what you get. Take that, teenagers, right? See, and you complain about the dishwasher. You see the values. Values dictate what each person's going to be seeing in this story. What they celebrate is going to happen. And then Jesus takes the listeners and he transports them right to the dad's house in verse 20. And, and in verse 20, we read this about the father. It says, and while he was still a long way off, this younger son, his father saw him coming. What does that tell you? The father's eyes are looking out. The father's eyes are looking out. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. Can I tell you, in the East, it is unusual, it is improper for a man to run in public. You don't do this. Um, it, number one, it doesn't, it's not easy because you have to lift up your garments to get your knees free to run, and that's, you don't expose that much of your legs. And what you do is, is that, that this is actually the only place when we know the Father is a representation of who God is, this is the only place in all of Scripture that we see God run. The only place where God takes on a running intentional attitude. And what is he running towards? Something that was lost. Can you see the value with me? Are you with me? And so what does he do? As a father, he runs. He jumps on his kid and he just tackles him and he's all over. It's like, why would you do this? Well, because you know that as he enters town, he would be stoned to death. They can't stone you as the dad. They could stone him. And so as a loving point of protection, I imagine him diving on him. This might have 
caused a little bit of an uproar for the Pharisees listening in. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's disobeying the law. That's off because the value is doing what's right and doing what's wrong. And he did what's wrong and deserves what he gets. And I imagine notorious sinners and religious rejects weeping as the longing of their heart, their deepest value to belong is exposed right in front of them to do nothing but to be accepted by dad again, even when you've royally messed up. And I, I, oh, they're probably so emotional in this moment. And Jesus continues the story. As, as almost like the son doesn't even have a chance to finish his pre-rehearsed speech. And nothing that the son mattered because the father valued his lost family. Because his eyes are on the horizon looking for what's lost. It doesn't mean he doesn't care, but he knew what was lost. He ignores the speech and this is what happens in verse 22. It says, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring out the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must, what's the word? We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life and he was lost but now he's found. So the party began. Can I tell you the father didn't value the finances. He didn't ask about what was lost. He said, I'm going to continue to give more to throw a party for you. Why? Because the value of my lost son being found is way more than the value of how much I have in my security. The value was lost things being found. And that is worth us all celebrating relationships and identity for this young lost son was being restored and he's putting on everything he's got. He's like, bring my robe, bring my ring, bring the sandals, bring everything that would point to this young man being my son, not just a random vagabond showing up at my house. Give him the best of what I have. And not once does he take his face and rub it in to see I knew you would ruin it. I knew you would blow it all. He doesn't do that at all, does he? He braces him and he throws a party because that's what mattered most. It's what he was looking to do. Well, at least it's what the dad was looking to do because the other son is the second lost son. And the second lost son, you know what he valued? He valued his performance. He valued working. That's where we, we stumble upon Jesus saying he was out in the field working. And, and, and he has these conversations with his father about, oh, he's working so hard for him. His value was production. It was approval. And now, he's not getting the recognition he thought he deserved. He wasn't being celebrated the way his brother's being celebrated. He's out working. So when he gets home, he is so confused. I didn't know it was a party day. I didn't know it was National Llama Day. What's so celebratory right now? Why is everybody dancing? Why is everybody doing this? And then he finds out it's for his good-for-nothing deserter brother who came home? Uh, Something bubbles up that's a little bit deep. If you have siblings, you understand this, right? If you have an older sibling, or if you are an older sibling, how frustrating is it? When your younger siblings get to do the things that you were never allowed to do. Oh, see, I could see collective, mm-hmm, from all you older siblings. Even, this is where us middle folk, uh, middle kids can even agree going, yeah, that youngest gets away with murder, right? They're watching movies at seven. That my, my parents made me wait till I was 17. They're playing video games.